there are two issues that I feel are driving the substance abuse that we see in the adolescent population. One of them is the availability of these drugs. When we ask kids, how easy, easy is it for you to get a, a drug like, say, LSD? 30% of them, 30% will tell us it's very easy for them to get LSD if they want it. 80% of high school seniors say it's very easy for them to find marijuana if they want it, 80%. And about the same percentage, 80-some percent, tell us it's very easy for them to find alcohol if they want it. So these drugs, and kids know this, are readily available. Welcome to the Parenting Mindset Show with Forrest and Bo. Conscious conversations to help you take your teen from anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem to empowered and inspired so you can have less chaos and more connection in your life. It takes a village. And now, on to our show. If you're a parent that needs help with your teen, they're struggling with anxiety, depression, or low self-esteem, that's what we do take teens that are going through some stuff and in eight weeks help them become empowered and inspired through mindset training which unfortunately they don't teach mindset and emotional intelligence in schools so it's our mission to basically bring that back to balance because it was something that I needed and my teens needed and that's why we created this program so go ahead and text the word teen to 760-593-4238 that's teen We'll get on a call. We'll discuss what's going on. And if we can help you, we can help you. And if we can refer you out to somebody who you need help from, and maybe we're we're not a good fit for each other, that's okay too. The most important thing is that you get help. We know how it is. It takes a village. So reach out. All right. And now on to our show. All right. Welcome to the Parenting Mindset Show. I'm your host, Forrest Follin. We are super, super excited to be talking to you today about an issue that is near and dear to my heart because it's something that I had to overcome in my life and it's something I had to face again as a parent of teenagers. And so it's such a, a relevant issue. You know, you as a parent, a teacher or a teen advocate, you may want to know things like what are the warning signs that I should look at when it comes with my teen, when it comes to drug and alcohol use, right? What are the warning signs? Teenagers can hide this stuff. They're pretty good at it. They're craftier than we think. So we need to know what to look out for. Also, how has the pandemic affected behaviors and mental health with my teen? You know, the pandemic and the school lockdowns and the, and the isolation, you know, what has that done with different, you know, substance use uh, disorders or um, process disorders, things like cell phones and video games and things like that? Um, also, what exactly are the drugs that teenagers are using these days? Do you even know the names? <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're picking these things up on places like Snapchat, right? We want to know from our guest today, how easily can these drugs be accessed and what can we do to prevent that? Also, and, we, and I've seen this idea among parents. I've had this idea and I've struggled with it because I realized the harm and the Uh, the reasoning behind it, which is this, you know, we think as parents, okay, well, if they're going to drink anyways, we might as well have them drink and party at home because they're safer at home than on the streets. Okay. I get that. But we're going to find out from an expert 
if this is a good idea or not. So you've got to listen closely. Also, you know, uh, finally, let's say you do suspect your teen to be using drugs or alcohol. What then? What then? What can we do? So our guest is the author of the book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. He has over two decades of experience working with adolescents and adults diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse issues. Please welcome to the show, Richard Capriola. Richard, how are you? Good to have you. Thank you, you Forrest. <laughs> Thank you, Forrest. It's a pleasure to be here today to, to talk to you about this issue that uh, uh, is affecting so many families across our nation. And uh, it's just, it's, I just welcome the opportunity to talk to you about this today. So thank you very much. Yes, you're welcome. And when I ordered the book and it came via Amazon to my front door, I opened it up and I saw that picture of the child, you know, with his head down and his arms feeling lost, broken, depressed, you know, depressed, you know, all the, all the things that I went through as a teen. And so I, I immediately devoured this book. It's a, it's an easy read, but it has such a great wealth of knowledge and information. So, you know, Richard, if we can get some backstory, why did you decide to write this book? What, what was it in you that said, I need to get this out there? Well, in, in, in my over 10 years of work as an addictions counselor at Menninger Clinic in Houston. I worked with both adolescents and adults uh, who had both a mental health issue and a substance abuse issue. And so many times I would sit across from a parent and I would go through their child's history of using a substance and I would give them the diagnosis of a substance use disorder. They would look at me and they would say something like, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would look at me and they would say, well, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. Mm. So when I left Menninger, I wanted to create a resource, uh, a guide, so to speak, that would help parents learn the basics of adolescent substance abuse, help them to become familiar with some of the drugs that are out there that kids have access to, mm. to learn a little bit about how these drugs work in the in the child's developing uh, brain and how things like marijuana can affect the brain. I wanted them to know what assessments they should get done if they suspect their child is using a substance. Um, it's more than just an addictions assessment. So I wanted them to know what assessments would be most helpful. I also wanted them to know um, how sometimes eating disorders and self-injury can accompany a child's use of a substance like alcohol or marijuana and what mm. the warning signs are for those. And then I wanted to give them information on what treatment options are available, what a good treatment program looks like, and just give them a lot of resources that they would have at their disposal if they needed it. And then throughout the book, there are warning signs that parents should look out for. Yeah, the book is a wealth of knowledge. It's everything you'd need. And in the back, there's tons of resources. I mean, pages and pages of resources. So this is just Great. Um, you know, what, even before maybe we get into, um, you know, the, the, the warning signs, right, is the idea that is drug and alcohol use just a regular part of growing up? Because a, you know, a lot of parents feel like, hey, if they're going to drink and, and smoke a little bit of cannabis, that's a part of the teenage experience. Or is it, is it should be, you know, in your view, should abstinence, complete abstinence, never experiment, 
never experimenting, should that be the goal? Or, you know, what should what should be the goal, do you think, with when parents are navigating this terrain? I think the goal has to be total, complete abstinence mm. from alcohol and from all illicit substances. Mm. Um, and the reason I say that is because adolescents are different than adults. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. the adolescent brain is in the process of maturing and developing, and that's going to take until around age 24 or 25. Mm -hmm. So when a child is exposed to a substance, say marijuana um, uh, or any other illicit drug, um, introducing that into a very uh, young developing brain runs the risk of, of doing some damage to that brain and, mm. and also to leading them to be uh, so-called addicted to a drug where they, where they lose control over the drug. So uh, mm. to, to protect that developing brain that's going to mature through the teenage years and early adulthood, I think mm. especially during the very young ages and through adolescence, it is absolutely critical that parents do everything they can to protect their child's brain. And that's going to involve abstinence from these drugs. Yeah. And parents listening, you know, the thing is your child might want to get involved in trying a drug because their friends are doing it or because they just want to have fun, quote unquote, have fun. And at first it might be fun for those first couple tries of, of a drink or smoking, smoking weed. But then what does it lead into? They want to chase what is fun, right? What they think is fun. So instead of going into sports or music or you know, uh, focusing on, you know, reading or, or developing themselves in any way, they focus on that. And that's when it becomes the addiction. And I, I yeah. could tell you this firsthand, you know, it becomes the addiction. And so for me, uh, the gateway to harder drugs when I was a teen was alcohol and, and cannabis at age 13. And then by age 16, I was doing methamphetamines. And then by age 17, I was homeless on the street. My body and mind were totally broken. I was, I was a broke and broken individual that needed a lot of help. And I, I wish I would have known about Richard's resources back then. Um, but uh, so, Richard, what are the warning signs that we can look out for as parents? What, what do we need to look for? Well, in my book, I have warning signs for alcohol, warning signs for marijuana, warning mm -hmm. signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-injury because they sometimes can accompany a child's using of, of a substance. Um, but as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to those changes that you see. Don't assume that they're just normal adolescent acting out. They may very well be, but they also may be an indicator that there's something else going on underneath the surface. So for example, um, you may have a child who was earning very good grades and now the grades are starting to decline. You may have a child that was very social and outgoing, now becomes very secretive and very quiet and very isolating. You may have a child who used to participate in sports, no longer wants to participate in sports. You may have a child who used to introduce you to their friends. You knew who their friends were. You may have even known who their family were now becomes very secretive of their of their of their friends so these are examples of the changes that when you see them in your child you need to investigate you need to look at them and 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 if necessary get the assessments that will tell you what's going on underneath the surface sometimes it will just be temporary it might be just adolescent acting out but 
you don't want to just assume that you want to find out if there's something else going underneath the surface and the more of these changes that you see the more likely there is that there's something else going on yeah yeah so it seems <laughs> in a way it seems like you're describing every single teenager <laughs> because a lot of these behaviors you know they're, they're almost typical teenage behaviors right yeah. uh, at some point um so that kind of begs the question shouldn't we all just get this assessment that you're talking about. I don't even know what this assessment really is. Maybe you can talk us through that part of it, but it sounds like better safe than sorry, in other words. It, it is better safe than sorry. And, and as I say, you want to pay attention, not just to the changes, but to the degree of the changes, the number of changes, mm -hmm. whether they're temporary or ongoing. Right. Um, you know, if, if, if they're very isolated and very temporary, chances are that, uh, you know, it, it could be a number of factors going on. Your kid might have had a bad day. It might be mm -hmm. uh, difficulty with a subject in school. It could be a lot of legitimate reasons. But the longer that these changes go on and the more, the more changes that you see, the more concerns you need to be as a parent. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the, the first step is to have a discussion with your child and see what information you can get from that discussion. Uh, that's likely to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and become argumentative and the child will become defensive, or you may actually get some good information from your child. But regardless of how it goes, the next step is to get some assessments done. Um, if you're that concerned that there might be something going on uh, or that your child might be involved in using a a substance, you need to proceed to get the assessments done. And my book explains what those assessments are. Uh, certainly, you need an addictions assessment from a professional that will give you information on your child's use of a substance, how much, how often. Um, but you also need probably a psychological assessment to, or a neuropsychological assessment to see if there's anything going on underneath the surface. A lot of the kids that I worked with who were smoking a lot of marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, it, I can't just help the, treat the marijuana. I need to treat the anxiety as well. And that's the purpose of getting a comprehensive assessment to see if there's anything under the surface that might need attention as well as the substance abuse. That's that's great. Yeah. So to really understand, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, getting the assessment, a lot of resources in the book with that. Um, my daughter had an interesting thing. I had a conversation with her yesterday and she said, you know, um, yeah, she said when you're at a certain vibration in health and wellness, you feel either, you know, you could be feeling full of anxiety, you feel negative, or you could feel neutral, or you could feel really good. You can feel really positive in that vibration, that energy. So she said uh, the people that are in that low state, when they smoke weed, it raises their energetic vibration to weed. But weed is like a level three out of ten, right? And so once they surpass that kind of vib vi vibration in terms of wellness, health and wellness, if they're at a seven, then they smoke weed, it's going to bring them down down into that depressed state, right? So, you know, it, it, it might help with anxiety, but that means they're so low that it's bringing them up to that level three or so forth. So, you know, yeah. how do we work on a child's overall wellness so that that's not even a factor where they are needing to gain, you know, a high to kind of mask their anxiety? 
Yeah, and you know the question is why? Why are they seeking that high? Probably because they have some type of um, uh, emotion, an intolerable thought or feeling or, or memory that they that they don't want to continue to have. So they seek the relief in the substance, and 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 it does give them immediate relief. I mean, they wouldn't use the substance if it didn't work. So it does give them uh, some type of immediate relief. So a child who's smoking marijuana because of anxiety, it 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 calms the anxiety but what they don't understand aside from the neural neuroscience effect of it and how it's affecting their brain is the fact that smoking marijuana for anxiety marijuana has a rebound effect over a period of time it will make their anxiety even worse mm. i saw these brain scans one time in this book it showed a teenage brain and it had little pockets of it you know because they were smoking the cannabis and it was literally creating pockets in their brain that were, were no longer functioning correctly. It, it, was, it was just b burning out their brain cells, basically. And you think of a, a developing teen brain and what that does over time. You know, I'm lucky to still be alive, I, I must say. Uh, I, I smoked a lot of cannabis when I was a teen, and uh, I don't <laughs> recommend it. You know, I don't recommend it. I was lucky. I have friends that are in San Quentin today. I have friends that are dead because they didn't make it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was like, I was a very, very lucky one. So don't look at my story and go, oh, well, you know, Coach Forrest made it through. I'll make it through too. No, I was lucky, lucky to be alive right now. So, yeah, um, yeah Richard, thank you. What do you think we need to do to better understand the drugs that are out there? Because there's a lot of different drugs now. I mean, like, I didn't know what Molly was. Like, what the heck is Molly? Right. I knew what ecstasy was, you know, but uh, Molly and all these different names, a lot of synthetics on the market now. Um, you know, what are these drugs and how easily can these be accessed? Well, you raise a, a, an excellent point, uh, Forrest. I, I, I think most parents are not aware of these substances. They're not aware of the terms that kids might be using to, to describe uh, these substances. And, and that's why I have a chapter devoted to each one of these uh, street drugs in my book, as well as alcohol, just so parents get a basic understanding of what these drugs are. So, you know, what is a hallucinogen? What is a depressant? What is a stimulant? Just so that they know what some of the names are for these substances not that they become expert in them but just that mm -hmm. they become familiar with them uh, because i think that that that's really important for parents to have a basic understanding there are two issues that i feel are driving the substance abuse that we see in the adolescent population one of them is the availability of these drugs. When we ask kids, how easy, easy is it for you to get a, a drug like, say, LSD? 30% of them, 30% will tell us it's very easy for them to get LSD if they want it. 80% of high school seniors say it's very easy for them to find marijuana if they want it, 80%. Mm -hmm. And about the same percentage, 80-some percent, tell us it's very easy for them to find alcohol if they want mm -hmm. it. So these drugs, and kids know this, are readily available. The second thing that's driving this is their perception of harmfulness. Do these kids see these drugs as harmful? And the answer is no, they don't. Only 30% of high school seniors tell us that they think smoking marijuana regularly is a great risk. Only 30%. 
only about 24% of them, high school seniors, tell us that they think having one or two drinks of alcohol almost nearly every day is a great risk. They don't think that's risky either. Mm. Um, so this perception among teenagers that these drugs are not harmful, and actually that perception decreases as kids get older. So the perception of risk among seniors is much lower than it is, say, a, a, among ninth and 10th graders. Ninth and 10th graders will tell you that they think these drugs are more harmful. But by the time they get into high school and they're seniors, all of a sudden, these drugs are not so harmful anymore. And there, there may be a lot of reasons for that. But yeah. the fact that they don't think these drugs are harmful and that they're readily available is a perfect combination for the drug abuse that we see out there. Yeah. Why don't they think that they're risky? I would say by their senior year, they've already been exposed to everybody they know has tried it in some regard. You know? Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and, they're, and they're still standing. So they're like, oh, it must not be risky. But they don't know what's going on underneath the surface and all that. You know? No, they so, don't. They don't. Yeah. And I think that's an accurate, uh, an accurate way of looking at it. I think that's exactly right. They don't see a lot of negative consequences associated either with their own use or with their peers' use. Yeah. Um, but, but those, those negative consequences are lying underneath the surface. Yeah. And little things start to happen that are negatively impact you. I remember when I was 16, I got a, a minor in possession for, yeah. you know, riding my bicycle to a concert and, and drinking a, a beer and I was caught with it. Right. And I had to pay money and I had to go to classes. And I remember going to this class and seeing like, there were some like major addicts there. And I was like, that was a warning sign for me. Like, Hey, <laughs> like I, I'm not at this level, but these guys are at this other level. And then the instructor, yeah. I remember he wrote on the whiteboard, Richard, he wrote a perfect sine wave, basically representing the normal ups and downs of someone's life, ups and downs, but an addict's life, he wrote these real high points and then these real low points, right? Yeah. Real high and real low, these erratic type of a life, right? And that's what the addict faces. And that's why, you know, the, one of the organizations that I really heavily promote solutions for change, they help homeless families and ho homeless, mm -hmm. uh, children. And, and, and a lot of it is due to addictions. A lot of people that are homeless, um, you know, we feel like they can never get back on their feet because they're mentally ill. Well, a lot of that mental illness has to do with addictions that started when they were teenagers. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the underlying root cause in your book, Richard, um, you wrote, uh, however, if your child is quote unquote labeled with a substance use or psychiatric disorder in bold, you put, it does not define them. Why did yeah. you write that? Because I wanted parents to understand that there's a difference between the label that, that they're given. And I point out that your child is, is never going to be diagnosed as an addict. That's a very stigmatizing term. We did not diagnose an adult or an adolescent with a diagnosis of addict. It's, it's a substance use disorder, and, it, and we, we intentionally call it a substance use disorder to recognize that it's like any other disorder. It can be treated. It can be treated. Um, so, so I wanted parents to know that, um, that, that their child is not defined by a diagnosis. The only purpose that we give anybody a diagnosis is to identify the issue 
and set the groundwork for treatment. It is not to label a child. So I don't want parents to think that regardless of the diagnosis that their child gets, and it might be a mental health diagnosis, it might be depression or anxiety or, or, or a personality disorder, that does not define their child, that there is hope, that there's hope for treatment and, and there's hope for recovery. But so many parents, uh, rightfully so, get freaked out when they hear these diagnoses because I think they believe it's labeling their child and that there's no way out from this. And I wanted to give them a sense of hope because we know that treatment works and, mm. and, and, and early intervention and treatment works. And our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. So the damage sometimes that's done by an adolescent using a, using a substance, yes, that does affect the brain and it can curtail some development, but our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. And with treatment and abstinence, you know, things can get much, much better. Yeah, there's there's so much to do in life uh, than 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 sit around getting high. It's not it's not the only way, and it's not the default. Your team doesn't have to do that. So, right. what is the idea then, Richard? We talked about this earlier. So, parents take on the idea of I'd rather have them here partying at home. You know, drinking, smoking a little weed, it's pretty harmless, quote unquote harmless. I'd rather have them here at home than out in the streets, right, where they're really going to get into some trouble and some harm. Uh, what, what kind of damage can that thinking do? Well, I understand that, that line of thinking. I can understand why a parent might take that point of view, but it is a very dangerous point of view for a parent to have. And the research, research bears that out because the research shows that um, when children are allowed to drink alcohol at home, even under their parents' supervision, that those, ten, those, those teenagers, those kids, when they leave home and say go off to college, they tend to end up drinking more than kids who came from an environment where it was frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very risky uh, attitude for any parent to take that says, I don't care if you drink, I just want to make sure you drink here, because that's introducing the substance to the child. It's telling them it's okay to drink alcohol under certain situations. And, and again, I get back to the fact that, you know, Parents need to do everything they can to protect their child's development, to protect their child's health, and to protect their child's brain. But, but the research would show that those kids may very well go on to college and end up drinking more than what they would have had you frowned upon it uh, in the home. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to drinking, do you see any like cultural differences? I know for me, having an, a background being Irish, uh, I took some type of weird pride in the fact that I can drink a lot and I started drinking and you're trying to find your identity as a teenager. And so when you don't, when you don't fit in with the athletes, even though I was pretty athletic, but I still didn't fit in cause I wasn't athletic enough. And when I didn't fit in with the intellectuals, even though I was pretty intellectual, I wasn't intellectual enough. I did fit in with the skaters and what the skaters would do would skate around town. They'd smoke and drink and party. And I was Irish. So my culture said, oh, I can stand out and be good at something. And so I took on that identity. Have you seen any teenagers take on either culture or some type of identity with drinking, with drugs? 
that type of thing? No, not so much. I, I think it's more environmental than it is cultural. I think mm -hmm. it has to do with a number of factors. Certainly some kids get involved in substances because of the peers that they're hanging out around with. Right. Uh, some get curious about it and want to try it. And depending on that experience, it either stops or it continues. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of kids, there's that underlying emotional issue that they're using a substance to, to, to medicate. So it could be a lot of different routes that kids get exposed to substances. Yeah. Are you finding like most of the substance use has to do with some type of underlying trauma or, or, or thing that they've been through in the past? Or is it sometimes that they just want to have fun, quote unquote, and, and they just hadn't they, they stumbled upon it because their friends were doing it, too? I, I think every kid's different. I think certainly there is a number of kids who are getting involved with substances because of, of, of the peers that they're hanging out with. Some of them because it's it's something they want to experiment with. They just want to see for themselves how it goes. Right. Um, and then it will go one way or the other. And mm -hmm. then there is a set of kids that, are, uh, that have learned, uh, maybe from another peer or maybe from experimenting, that the use of a substance helps medicate an under underlying issue like anxiety and when they find out it works then it's like off to the races with it because now they found something that really helps get them out of this intolerable feeling or thought or memory um, and maybe they learned it from another kid maybe they learned it by experimentation but there is a set of kids that are using these substances to medicate an underlying issue because mm -hmm. I worked in a psychiatric hospital those mm -hmm. were a lot of the kids that I saw yeah yeah let's let, let's move into some of the process um disorders that you've seen as well um what what kind of things because i know uh time magazine just recently uh put out an article of a study by fair health where they said that in the last year of the pandemic uh self-harm has gone up 344 percent in one year which is you know un un it's a crazy jump, right? Um, but things like video games and cell phones, these are the things that I'm, list I'm hearing from parents the most right now is, you know, my kid is full on addicted to social media and cell phones or video games or, yeah. you know, self-harm. These, these types of what they're called process disorders, correct? They are called process disorders. The chemical, uh, the chemical addictions, the chemical disorders are the alcohol and the marijuana. The process ones are, are more behavioral. And the, and the examples mm -hmm. that you gave are right on target. They are things like eating disorders, mm -hmm. self-injury, uh, video gaming, uh, computers, uh, cell phones, uh, you, you name it. All of these can become compulsive behaviors as well. Um, and, and many times these process disorders will accompany a chemical disorder. So you may have a child, for example, who um, is smoking a lot of marijuana and also cutting on themselves. I saw, I saw a number of girls who had both of those disorders. Um, it tended to be um, uh, girls that I saw who either were self-injuring or had developed an eating disorder. And many times both of those issues get back to some type of psychological issue that they're trying to trying to get away from. Uh, the boys, I saw a number of boys who were uh, involved in video gaming, especially very young boys with video gaming, cell phones now, social media, uh, that's become almost a compulsive use. So these process addictions can become problematic for a lot of families. And you raise the interesting issue of the pandemic, because this pandemic has, 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 
has had a, a, a serious effect not only on adolescents but on adults as well. And we're just scratching the surface on the mental health effects that both kids and adults are having as a result of going through this, uh, this pandemic. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it as we go down the road. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I, I tell parents that I come into contact with, you know, all teens need coaching. If people like Michael Jordan needs a coach, you know, everybody needs a coach, right? Somebody yeah. that can help guide them and, and help them, you know, take into perspective. You know, one of the things we talk about in our coaching is influence, right? That's your environment influencing you. Uh, then mm -hmm. there's perception on that influence. That perception leads to a belief system and that belief system leads to certain expectations. And then you go ahead and you live according to your beliefs through those expectations. But what I mean by perception, it's like this one story of these two twin brothers. They both had an alcoholic father. One turned out to be a homeless guy. One turned out to be a, a very successful CEO of a com his own company. And, they, and somebody asked, you know, the homeless brother, why did you become homeless? And he says, well, because I had an alcoholic father. And then they asked the, the CEO, uh, the other twin, why did you become so successful? And he said, well, because I had an alcoholic father. Yeah. Right? So they had the same environment, but to totally different perceptions and they went on to live different lives based on that perception. Richard, my question to you is how can we change the influence and the perception of our teens as parents, as teachers, as advocates? I think through education, mm. uh, through, through helping them just learn about um, the neuroscience, so to speak, of, of substance use. Um, when I was working with uh, a lot of teenagers, it didn't do me any good to tell them the drug was illegal. They already mm -hmm. knew that. Mm -hmm. It didn't do me any good to tell them that they might, uh, they might drop out of school or their grades might drop out or they might not get to college or they might not get a job. They didn't believe any of that. Mm -hmm. So what did work? What worked was the neuroscience. When I could talk to them about their brain and I could show them different areas of the brain and, and, and what those areas were responsible for, that captured their attention. And then I would show them, if I was working with somebody who was using marijuana, I would show them where marijuana attached itself to the different areas of the brain. Mm -hmm. and, and they could see, well, now I understand why maybe my motivation isn't as good as what it used to be because I can see where marijuana attaches itself to that area of the brain that affects motivation. Maybe I can see why my short-term memory isn't as good as it used to be uh, and, and maybe how it's affecting my grades because now I can see where marijuana attaches itself to that area of the brain that's responsible for short-term memory that they were interested in, that they were curious about. So I I would use that as, as sort of the hook to, to, to begin working with them. That's fantastic. Parents, take a mental note of that, the neuroscience and educating them and getting them curious about how their brain works and how drugs, you know, latch on to certain parts of the brain. I'm, you have some great diagrams in your book too, uh, Richard, about that. And you actually show uh, that little area of the brain, that pathway where the THC would kind of uh, latch on. Um, and, and that is fascinating. You know, who wouldn't be fascinated by that and be able to link it to their behavior in life? So you found that that works. That's incredible. Yes, it did work. It captured their attention. 
and that was opening the door so to speak to get them to look at the possibilities of perhaps things could be, get better if i would you know stop using this substance yes yes so as we get into this uh, final section of the podcast today let's talk about solutions you know richard i mean i've got some parents that are listening right now parents i i know you're right there listening take a deep breath with us breathe in <laughs> breathe out it's gonna be okay we can fix this if you're going through some of this we can fix this richard what do we do if we're if we're in this situation um where do we start well first of all um i think you're absolutely right that the message that we want to send parents is this can be fixed Mm. no matter what drug your child is using no matter what the stage of their use this can be fixed there is hope out there that your child can can move away from abusing a substance but it's not going to happen automatically it does require intervention and it may require treatment but with intervention and with treatment your child and your family can move through this the other thing that i would say to parents parents is while the focus is on your child and the substance abuse that's going on and all of the ramifications of that this is also affecting you and it's affecting your family so please get help for yourself it might be a close friend that you can confide in it might be another relative or 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 it might be a professional counselor but please get help for yourself so that you do not feel so isolated and alone to going through this yes your child needs help may need treatment but you need help and support as well um, so please if you're going through this um, uh, you, you need to get some help for yourself you need to get some support you need a support system for you as you build that support system for your child but both you your child and your entire family can get through this that's great. Thank you for those words of wisdom, Richard. You know, I'm sure the parents listening right now really appreciate that. And they can take a deep breath knowing that there is a path forward, right? Yes. So make sure you go out and you get that book. Uh, Richard, uh, I'll hold it up right here. If you're watching on the video, if you can't see the video, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I'm going to put a link down in the show notes. I'm going to put a link to Richard's website down in the show notes. Make sure you refer to that. Make sure you share this episode with as many parents and teachers as you can. We need to get this awareness in front of more people. We're going to save lives together. The only way we can do it is through awareness and by working together, you know, us parents, right? It takes a village, doesn't it? It really does. So Richard, thank you so much for being on the show. I want you to uh, go ahead and send them to wherever website you need to send them to. Where should they go? Well, let me say first, Forrest, thank you for inviting me to the program and for sharing your experiences with uh, with substance abuse. I think I think that added a unique dimension to our discussion, which I hope every parent and everyone who's listening found helpful today. I would also say that if there were any issues or questions uh, that, that we weren't able to address in our conversation today, if they uh, will contact you, Forrest, and send in their questions or their, or their suggestions, 
questions, I'd be more than happy to come back and, and you and I can address their individual questions. In terms of the book, um, they can go to the website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. And on that website, they'll be able to read endorsements and book reviews. Uh, they can read a sample of the one of the chapters uh, and they can order uh, either the book itself or the parent workbook uh, through the website. It'll take them directly uh, to Amazon um, where they can uh, they can purchase either one of those books. And it comes in either electronic version for only 99 cents or you can buy the uh, paperback because a lot of people do prefer to have the paperback. So they have the option of both. Makes it easy. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, parents, for listening, for sharing. Thank you, Richard, for being on the show. This was amazing. And yes, it's just the start of a dialogue. It's going to be ongoing. Parents, come with your questions. We'll see you on the next one. Have a wonderful day and goodbye. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Can you Bye -bye. think of someone who really needs to hear this message right now? Great. Send them a link to this show. Sharing is caring. Also, go on to Facebook right now and search Parents of Awesome Teens with Anxiety, Depression, or Low Self-Esteem so you can gain access to our supportive community. Remember, it takes a village. Thanks for listening to the Parent Teen Mindset Show.